Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. For thousands of years, the horse has played a major role on the battlefield. In a practical sense, the horse has provided the advantage of mobility and the advantage of intimidation. The horse has also been a romantic, idealized symbol of heroism and power. Around the world, entire social systems evolved in response to the care and training of the horse for war, and it is impossible to imagine military history without the horse. From the first uses of horses in Mesopotamia, to Ramses II's chariot battle at Kadesh, to Alexander the Great at Galgamela, to the religious wars of Europe, the wars of conquest in Asia and the Middle East, the charge of the Scots Greys at Waterloo, the charge of the Light Brigade in the Crimean War, and the use of cavalry in the American Civil War and World War I, the horse has been a constant in war. Most people believe that with World War I, the horse became a relic of the past. This belief is understandable. After all, more than any other war, the deadly stalemate of World War I proved that muscle and sinew could not resist the crushing force of modern mechanized war. In an era of machine guns, tanks, and planes, the cavalry charge did become relatively obsolete on the battlefields of Western Europe. It is important to note, however, that relatively obsolete does not mean completely obsolete. As late as the 1930s, Many nations seriously considered maintaining large cavalries because they worried about being paralyzed by potential fuel shortages during a war. The mechanized German blitzkrieg into France in 1940 ultimately forced a reevaluation of this school of thought, but again the horse did not completely disappear from the battlefield. For a short while longer, on the battlefields in Asia, Eastern Europe, North Africa, and the Middle East, the horse would remain an important, dependable part of war, still a weapon of war, not just a source of transportation. In terms of the U.S. military, cavalry units have existed since the Revolutionary War. In the decades prior to World War II, many cavalry units were transitioned into mechanized units. A few traditional cavalry units remained, however, and one of those units is credited with making the last charge of the U.S. Army cavalry. This historic charge took place on January 16, 1942, in the Philippines. It pitted members of the exhausted and understrength 26th Cavalry Regiment against a vastly superior enemy force. This podcast will examine this last charge, an event that many historians have called a fitting tribute to the legacy of the war horse. The 26th Cavalry Regiment Philippine Scouts was formed in 1922 at Fort Stotzenberg, about 50 miles north of the Philippine capital, Manila. The regiment was made up of remnants of the 25th Field Artillery Regiment and the 43rd Infantry Regiment Philippine Scouts. The officers of the regiment were Americans, and Filipinos made up the enlisted ranks. From its conception, the 26th was part of the U.S. Army Far East's Philippine Department. 
For nearly four centuries, the Philippines had been a possession of Spain. When the Spanish-American War ended after a few months in 1898, a defeated Spain ceded the island to the United States for $20 million. From that point on, the United States maintained a military presence in the Philippines. When it became clear that the United States had no intention of leaving the Philippines, Filipino nationalists revolted and the Philippine-American War broke out in 1899. American troops, including Douglas MacArthur's father, Lieutenant General Arthur MacArthur, poured into the Philippines to put down the rebellion and to firmly establish American control over the country. By 1902, this had been more or less accomplished, and from that point, the Philippines was governed as a U.S. territory. In 1935, the Philippines was granted Commonwealth status, and plans were put in place to prepare the Philippines for future independence. In 1936, a recently retired General Douglas MacArthur was named Field Marshal of the Philippines. In this capacity, he was tasked with preparing the country's military for self-defense. From the beginning, MacArthur struggled with chronic shortages of money and supplies. In 1941, with war clouds on the horizon, he was recalled to active duty and assigned command of the U.S. Army Forces Far East, a command that also included the Philippine Army. Lacking adequate supplies and training, even before the war began, U.S. and Filipino forces were at a serious disadvantage when compared to the Japanese juggernaut making its way through Asia and the Pacific. The first few hours of the war would only exacerbate this problem. Nine hours after the attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, the Japanese also struck the Philippines, destroying a good portion of MacArthur's Air Force and virtually clearing the way for a Japanese invasion. Days later, between December 10th and December 16th, Japanese forces began landing in the Philippines. Against the onslaught of seasoned Japanese troops, the relatively green, untried American and Filipino troops fell back. There was one unit, however, that could be relied upon, and General Jonathan Wainwright, MacArthur's senior field commander, knew it. When the Japanese landings along the Lingayen Gulf started folding Wainwright's defenses on December 22nd, Wainwright threw the 26th Cavalry Regiment into the path of the Japanese. As Wainwright explained to an aide, the 26th are the only ones to stop the Japanese from being in Manila in a few hours. At this time, the 26th Cavalry Regiment consisted of 784 enlisted men and 52 officers. Its commander, Colonel Clinton Pierce was built like a bulldog, and those who knew him believed he was a cavalry commander cut from the same cloth as Light Horse Harry Lee, Philip Sheridan, Jeb Stuart, and George Custer. Rugged yet debonair and a natural leader, he inspired confidence in his men, and the 26th would need every ounce of courage and confidence in the days that followed. As the 26th stood between the Japanese invasion force and Manila, They faced machine guns and tanks. Using their mobility to their advantage, the 26th repeatedly charged and harassed the invading force, punishing any Japanese soldiers who dared lift their heads or who were caught unprotected in the open. This forced the Japanese to advance cautiously, a factor which slowed their progress and disrupted their timetable for the conquest of the Philippines. This delay, however, came at a cost to the 26th. The regiment was repeatedly mauled by the Japanese, and each time it regrouped to charge again, its fighting force was much reduced. 
With casualties mounting, the call to retreat finally came. As the regiment pulled back from the action, its lines were suddenly broken by Japanese tanks that seemed to appear out of nowhere. In the wild confusion that followed, Colonel Pierce was able to rally part of the 26th and escape. Some members of the 26th were temporarily cut off, but managed to rejoin the regiment later. Exhausted from this delaying action, the next day the men of the 26th received word that MacArthur had ordered a withdrawal to Bataan. Manila was to be abandoned, and once again the 26th had been tapped to cover the retreat. On the day before Christmas 1941, General Wainwright visited the 26th to bolster morale. An old cavalryman himself, Wainwright held the 26th in high regard. As he encouraged the men, a bottle of scotch was produced, and the officers of the 26th joined Wainwright for a quick toast. In the days that followed, the 26th was responsible for one of the war's most brilliant delaying actions. Colonel Pierce's men threw back wave after wave of Japanese attackers, allowing the shredded Filipino and American forces to safely retreat towards Bataan. Running low on supplies, the men of the 26th even lobbed gasoline-filled soda bottles at Japanese tanks, all while riding horses that grew leaner and leaner by the day. Once again, the 26th managed to do the impossible, holding off a well-supplied, numerically superior force long enough to allow a defensive perimeter to be set up around Bataan. There would be no time to rest in this success, however. Worried that the Japanese were going to attempt a flanking maneuver, General Wainwright insisted on continuous patrols. As rations dwindled and the fodder for the horses became ever more scarce, the strength of the 26th continued to decline. By January 15th, the horses of the 26th were scarcely able to lift their feet over the vines that clogged the trails, and the troopers fell asleep in their saddles. But there would be no rest for the 26th. On the morning of January 16th, Lieutenant Edwin Price Ramsey, an officer temporarily in charge of the 26th 1st Platoon E Troop, was ordered by Wainwright to secure the area of Morong. Earlier, the 1st Philippine Division had abandoned Morong, but General Wainwright insisted that it be retaken because it offered the defenders the best defensive position along the only river that separated the two opposing forces. Exhausted from days and days of patrols, Lieutenant Ramsey guided his platoon towards Morong, followed by two other platoons. The men of the 26th reached a village in Morong and entered it from the side. As the point guard rode through the village, Ramsey and the others watched closely for any signs of the Japanese. All was quiet until the point guard rounded a corner at the village's church and disappeared from view. Within seconds, there was an explosion of rifle and automatic weapons fire. The point guard came galloping back, and for the first time, Ramsey and his men saw an advance guard of Japanese soldiers crossing the river into the village. Behind the advance guard stood hundreds of Japanese soldiers waiting to cross. If the Japanese were allowed to reach the village in force, it would be nearly impossible to drive them out again. Hopelessly outnumbered, Ramsey's only thought was that the 26th had to charge the enemy without delay. As he later wrote, For centuries the shock of a mounted charge had proved irresistible. Now the circumstances and all my training made it instinctual. Ordering his men to deploy as foragers, he gave the signal to charge. Pouring out their last ounces of energy, the men and horses of the 26th charged the Japanese, firing and yelling as they went. 
According to Ramsey, the charge of the 26th must have seemed a vision from another century to the Japanese, and in panic and confusion they broke. This would be the final mounted cavalry charge in U.S. military history, and it was a successful charge. Despite suffering losses, the already understrength 26th Regiment managed to hold the area until the next day, when the 1st Philippine Division arrived in force to relieve them. Lieutenant Ramsey would receive a silver star for his actions, but the 26th Cavalry would never mount another charge. With fodder practically non-existent, and rations for the men defending Bataan dwindling, General Wainwright was ultimately forced to order the horses of the 26th slaughtered to provide food for the defenders. Among the horses was Wainwright's own prize jumper, Little Boy. According to eyewitnesses, Wainwright ordered Little Boy killed first, and after saying goodbye, walked away with tears in his eyes. As Lieutenant Ramsey recalled, he steeled himself to the news that the horses would be killed, refusing to think about it at first, and then forcing himself to acknowledge that starvation and injury would have made a more horrible death for the horses. After losing their mounts, the 26th would continue the war in the Philippines on foot, with some, including Lieutenant Ramsey, ultimately evading capture by the Japanese and disappearing into the jungles to conduct guerrilla operations. Everybody has their preferences, and there are thousands of cavalry charges to choose from, but according to cavalry expert Eric J. Wittenberg, the top five cavalry charges in history are as follows, but in no particular order. The five-brigade front charge by the Union cavalry that was the climax of the Third Battle of Winchester, September 19, 1864. The French cavalry charge at the Battle of Elu, February 8, 1807, in which the entire French cavalry corps, 11,000 strong, all charged at once. The British charge at Waterloo, June 18, 1815. The charge of the Light Brigade at the Battle of Balaclava, October 25, 1854. And Bannister Tarleton's charge at Camden during the American Revolutionary War, August 16, 1780. So where does the 26th fall in terms of the history of the horse and cavalry? Compared to some of the greatest cavalry charges in history, the 26th charge may seem insignificant. Clearly, the 26th charge was not as ill-fated as the Light Brigade's, or as visually impressive as the massive 11,000-man charge at Elu. Understood in context, however, the achievements of the 26th in its last days did have a major impact on the war in the Pacific. The Japanese relied heavily on the idea of a timetable for the conquest of the Pacific, aware that they had a limited amount of time to conquer, consolidate, and then dig in before the United States could mobilize and swing the full weight of its industrial power into the war, it was vital that they kept to this timetable. Every delay made it less and less likely that the Japanese would be able to hold their gains indefinitely. The Philippines was supposed to be conquered in one or two months. Through the efforts of units like the 26th Cavalry, the actual conquest took five months, and the pacification of the Philippines by the Japanese was never complete. By buying valuable time for the United States to mobilize, 26th contributed greatly to the eventual success of the war in the Pacific. It is also important to remember that cavalry was never meant to be in the midst of the battlefield for any sustained period of time. Cavalry's role was scouting, reconnaissance, raiding, guarding flanks, shock and awe, 
and being on hand for pursuit and mop-up duties. In the Philippines, the 26th Cavalry was used for this and more, and during the retreat to Bataan, the 26th was a constant force on the battlefield. Fully aware of how much the 26th had accomplished, General Wainwright later said, I cannot speak in too glowing terms of the gallantry displayed by the 26th Cavalry. This devoted little band of horsemen maintained the best traditions of the American Cavalry. Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.